0: All right, what's up, guys? Can y'all hear me well? I don't know, am I coming out? Oh, there we go, all right. Hey, uh, before we get into the message, I do wanna tell you, we caught a little bit of an audible tonight. Um, normally we break into small groups after lessons. We're not doing small groups tonight, we're just doing uh, some snacks and stuff like that. And the reason why is a lot of our leaders are actually out sick tonight, a little bugs going around the drive student leader group. Um, So pray for your leaders Um, if one of your student group leaders is not here tonight Send them a text send them a message and say hey we missed you tonight I'm sure they would encourage them, but we've got a lot of sick people out tonight Um, And so yeah a whole bunch so we're gonna pray for them before we get into the message Let's pray for them right now and uh, pray for their healing that they can be back with us next week Father God we come to you tonight. We know that you are the God who heals We know that you are a God that can take sicknesses and remove them So I ask you to work In the lives of all of our sick friends right now, I think of uh, Mills, I think of Kevin, I think of Amanda, I think of Sarah, I think of Gene, I think of people who have, uh, Troy, I think of Matt, and Drea, and everyone else who is under the weather right now, some who are here but still not feeling the best. I just pray for healing to wash over them uh, so that they can be with us next week as we celebrate you and worship you. Uh, I thank you for every student who is here tonight. I ask that you bless their weeks uh, for making the time to be here tonight. I ask as I teach this lesson that you take over my words, calm my mind, and keep me focused as I speak uh, your truths. uh, Prepare our hearts as we hear from you tonight uh, so that we are ready and willing to listen to what you have to say to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, Guys, other than people being sick, uh, who's excited to be here tonight? All right. Good deal. I gotta say, this side, you guys kinda got the shaft a little bit, because standing in the back, this is like heavily female side, and this is heavily guy side, so guys were being loud, but it's more like a Whereas the girl's like And it just sounds better for them. So I think you guys were really cheering with everything you had, it's just the testosterone was kicking in a little bit. You know, so. Uh, Hey guys, we are in our second week of plot twists. We kicked this off last week with Dre giving us the message. It's kind of our Easter service. We've been talking about shocking twists in movies and TV shows and things like that, Um, but also real life plot twists. And we're gonna talk about a couple of them. And you know, uh, they can leave us feeling all sorts of different things. I guess it depends on the type of plot twist you get hit with. Some are good, some are bad. In fact, we're gonna start with a little exercise. I need everybody to hold up both their hands. Closed fist style though, all right? Everyone has two hands, right? If somebody didn't, I would feel really dumb. A lot of you said no jokingly, but if there's actually one kid who's like, that's really mean, I'm sorry, all right? So if you have two hands, next question, hopefully you've got all 10 digits, all right? I'm going to give you guys some scenarios that would be plot twists in your everyday life and you need to rank them from a scale of one to 10, one being, this is a horrible plot twist, I would not like this, 10, yes, sign me up, I want this to happen to me, A-S-A-P. First one, you wake up in the morning, get ready for school, you find out you didn't charge your phone all night and it's at 3%. A one, a one, a two, some fours. Holding up the double fist back there, that's a zero. That's not a good plot twist to wake up and realize your phone's already dead. How about this one? You find $5 on the ground, a 10, a couple 10s. You find $50 on the ground. So now you're like, oh, I should have went 10 with that one, all right. Your parents tell you you're moving to Nebraska. I tried to think of the worst state, and I feel like Nebraska is just like, what is Nebraska? Here's the deal, corn. You guys, it's March Madness, college sports. The University of Nebraska's team is literally called the Cornhuskers. There is nothing in Nebraska. That should be a zero. Uh, How about this one? You turn on the news. You see your friend is on the news and they're being interviewed. We'll find out. Because they witnessed a murder. Okay. Apparently, he just, You know, Uh, that's that's Kevin uh, Stout, by the way. Uh, You win free tickets to a show you've always wanted to see. Taylor Swift is coming to town. Where are my Swifties at? No? Over here? Okay. Uh, You get tickets to the Taylor Swift concert, but you find out the person you're sitting next to has the worst BO you've ever smelled in your life. A three. Some of you guys, I'm still at Taylor Swift. All right. How about this one? You find out you are severely allergic to your favorite food and you cannot ever eat it again. I guess I'm going to (laughs) die. LaShawn, I guess I'm going to die, he says. Last one, last one. Your best friend calls you up and tells you they're sick of you. Some zeros. All right, all right. So, guys, you can put your hands down. These are just a little goofy, but those are plot twists some of us would like to have happen, some of us would not like it. I would think it was the worst. If you go to a Taylor Swift concert, sit next to a smelly kid, your friend tells you they don't like you, and your parents say, we're going to Nebraska. That's just the ultimate gut punch after gut punch after gut punch. Um, But those are more joking, those are more not serious. Life changes on a dime though, you guys. And sometimes plot twists hit us really hard. Maybe you've experienced real life plot twists like this. Maybe you've, Maybe you work hard to achieve a goal and you failed at it. Maybe at school you studied and you studied and you studied for this test and you're like, I got this, I'm, I'm gonna ace it and you get, a, you get an E. You, you put in all the work. You put in all the work to make the team and you get cut. You make a huge mistake, you're still dealing with the consequences to this day. You learn new information that, that makes you realize this world's a lot more broken than you thought. Real life plot twists. You lose a loved one. You see a relationship end. Sometimes we face plot twists that leave us seemingly broken beyond repair. So when things feel hopeless, the question is, is that the end of the story? As Christians, we don't believe that when we feel hopeless, we are hopeless, because we think there's something more. We think the ultimate plot twist involves Jesus. We're getting ready to celebrate Easter in a couple weeks. By the way, I would invite all of you guys to Bio City on Easter Sunday. We have three services. I would love to see all of you guys on Easter Sunday. But as we get closer to Easter on a calendar, we're going to look at the Easter story here, tonight, and even uh, next week as well. Uh, and what we're going to talk about is some of the plot twists that we see in that story. Because... As the Easter story was unfolding in real time, now we know the whole story, and we know where the hope comes from, but the people who lived it, they hit these points in this story where their hope was lost. A hopeless situation turned into the source of hope for all of eternity. We know that now, we know the ending, but the people who lived it didn't know that. You know, maybe I'm wrong to assume that you know the Easter story. Maybe you don't know everything about the Easter story. Maybe you don't even know what Easter's all about. You think it's about a bunny and getting peanut butter eggs, which those parts are good. But that's not really why we celebrate Easter. We celebrate Easter because we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, was buried in the tomb and rose again, and he is alive today, and that's what Easter is all about. That's what we celebrate, and if you don't know that, I would love to tell you in more detail about that story. We're going to talk about it a little bit tonight, but that's the hope that we have, is that we serve a God who is living, who can beat anything, and if he's on our side, then it doesn't matter who's lined up against us. I want, you know, as we talk these next couple weeks for you to really try to put yourself in the place of the people who live this story. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I try to put myself back in time into those situations. You know, on Sunday, we had Drive at Lion. on Sunday night. We talked about a guy named Judas and his role. He played in the story where he stabbed Jesus in the back, not literally, but figuratively. He, he was not a good friend. He betrayed Jesus. And our take-home point on Sunday night was that even when we turn away from Jesus, Jesus doesn't turn away from us. Jesus never stopped loving Judas. Uh, he doesn't turn away from us. And that's, that's good, that's good to know. But we pick up the story that we're gonna to read tonight after this has happened. So Judas has betrayed Jesus, and Jesus has been arrested, uh, and they hold this illegal trial, though the trial that they had for Jesus was not lawful, it was in the middle of the night, there was no judge, there was no official witnesses, everything they did was against the law. Uh, and he has this trial with the high priest, and they find him guilty, they pass him on to the government, and this guy named Pontius Pilate. And the part of the story that we're gonna to read tonight, we meet this character, that uh, this guy just sucks, all right? Like, there's no other way to put it. This guy has a part in the Easter story, and this dude sucks, all right? Let's start reading in Matthew chapter 27, verse 15 through 18. It says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. So remember, Jesus is a prisoner, and Jesus has been arrested, and so Pilate is trying to come up with a plan. Then they had a, notori- they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas so when they had gathered Pilate said to them and when they says they just this crowd of people had gathered Pilate said to them who do you want me to release for you Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up let me stop there for a second it was a custom at the time during these holy days to release one prisoner to signify freedom and so Pilate who was the judge Pilate had had interviewed Jesus he had talked with Jesus and he couldn't find anything wrong with him which is fair, because Jesus was innocent. And so Pilate speaks to Jesus. He says, I don't know what this guy's guilty of. I want to let him go. But he also knows he can't just let him go, and that'll, that'll cause a riot. The Jews would, would, would like revolt, and there'd just be chaos. And so Pilate's trying to play this political game where he keeps everyone happy, and he comes up with this idea. He's like, I know what we can do. It's the holy day where we release a prisoner. So I'm going to offer them two options. I'm going to give him Jesus, the innocent one, and I'm going to give him Barabbas. And I don't think he picked Barabbas by accident because Barabbas, like I said, sucked. All right? In other parts of scripture, it tells us that Barabbas was a robber. It tells us he was an insurrectionist, which is a fancy word for a terrorist. And it says that he was a murderer. So Barabbas was a killing terrorist thief. And Pilate says, I know what I'll do. I want this Jesus to go free because I don't think he's done anything, but I can't just let him go. People will flip out. So I'm going to make them choose. I'm going to give them the choice between Jesus or the worst guy we've got. Who is the worst person in all of our prisons? Who is the worst person in jail right now? And they said, it's Barabbas. He said, let's get Barabbas up there. So they bring Jesus up and they bring Barabbas up and he says, who do you want me to release for you? Jesus or Barabbas? We're going to skip a couple verses, but now we're going to go to verse 20. It says, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So the crowd starts murmuring and they're discussing things and the chief priests start whispering in people's ears, let Barabbas go. Let's get Barabbas out of here. They start whispering for Barabbas. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ, they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So Pilate's plan backfires. He's got this idea that he's going to get this innocent man free without upsetting people by putting him up against the most guilty, the worst prisoner that they have And the crowd actually wants this guy to go free. Like I said, the custom was one person gets to go free. No questions asked. They're gone. They're absolved of all their charges. And Pilate, in passages we won't read tonight, uh, like I said, he can't find anything wrong with Jesus. So he doesn't really want to sentence him to death. He doesn't want to punish him, but he knows the stakes. He knows the political issues here, and he's conflicted. He doesn't want to start a riot, so he can't just let Jesus go. And he's convinced no one's going to want this guy to walk free. No one's going to want a murderer to walk free. No one's going to want a terrorist to walk free. No one's going to want a thief to walk free. And yet, they did. Barabbas sucked, you guys. Barabbas was a bad dude. He killed, he stole, he had no respect for authority. Who would want this guy walk in the streets? Who would want that guy to go free? And his plan backfires, and Barabbas the monster, Barabbas the murderer, Bar- Barabbas the thief, the terrorist, is set free. And when I read the story of Easter. From the point Jesus is betrayed to the point he's on the cross, to the point where he's in the tomb, to the point we're going to read a little bit tonight, Barabbas just seems like an interruption in the story. He's just there for a minute. He's just offered up as this alternative, and it blows up in the face of Pilate. And it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that he's there because given how he turns out He's just this thug. For lack of a better term, Barabbas in the Easter story is a thug. He's a criminal. He's a a malcontent. He's a bad dude. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus heals the sick. Jesus cures the blind. Jesus brings the dead back to life. Jesus feeds the hungry. Jesus loves the outcast. So Pilate says, who do you want? Do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? And the crowd says, we want Barabbas, and I will never for my, for my life, understand why the crowd chose him. I understand how the story played out, and I understand it was God's plan, but I don't understand the mindset of those people that would say, I want a murderer to walk free. So the guards unlock his chains. He's brought up in chains. They unlock his chains. They set him free, and this is why I think Barabbas is so bad. There's a lot of bad people in the Bible. There's a lot of bad people in the world. There's people who've killed, there's people who've stolen, there's people who, who've committed terrorist acts before, there's all kinds of people like that. But all throughout Scripture, when we see people interact with Jesus, not everybody accepts him, obviously. Some people didn't like him. But Barabbas just doesn't even acknowledge Jesus. There's no, there's no sentence, there's no phrase that says, and Barabbas turned and said, thanks, Jesus, for letting me out of here. Thanks, Jesus. And, and he skips along on his merry way. He just, he just goes back to his old life. There's no passage in Scripture, there's no verse or anything that says Barabbas converted, that he became a follower of Christ, nothing like that. For all we can guess, Barabbas went right back to the life that he was living. So this thug, this criminal, this bad dude is given the opportunity of a lifetime to live a new life, and he goes right back to the old one, a murderer who set free. And it never made sense to me until I read something a couple years back. Jesus was never confused. See, I, I read the Bible, I get confused a lot, all right? I, I get confused by a lot of stuff. God's never confused, you guys. Jesus is never confused. Jesus is never caught off guard. Jesus knew fully what was happening with Barabbas. Jesus was okay with letting Barabbas go. And the reason why is Jesus knew that God would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. I want you to think about that for a second. The reason Jesus went to the cross was so that people like Barabbas could be treated like Jesus. And the only way they could be treated like that is if Jesus himself took Barabbas' place. You want to talk about plot twists? Barabbas the killer, Barabbas the thief, Barabbas the unrepentant thug is fully and completely loved by God. I think he sucks. Jesus loves him. Doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why he does, but he does. It wasn't Pilate. It wasn't the people that set him free that day. It was God in his unwavering love for Barabbas that got those chains off of Barabbas' hands and feet and set him free into that crowd. I read this story and I don't get Barabbas, you guys. I don't get it. If I'm being honest, I don't understand why Barabbas comes into the, Not because he was bad. I get people are bad, but because he never changed. I don't even know why why it's even mentioned, if he's just not going to change. If, you know, if we could hear from God tonight, if God could tell us one thing about Barabbas, what God would tell us over and over, first and foremost, is this. I love Barabbas. I want you guys to sit with that for a second. Jesus loves Barabbas. You know, a lot of times when you're in church and you hear a story, you try to put yourself in there. You know, I've tried to put myself in the story of Jesus being arrested and crucified, and I say, where would I fit? I try to think I'd be brave, unlike the disciples, and I wouldn't run, and I wouldn't hide. I'd, I'd stand for my savior, and I'd fight for him. I don't know, I don't know what I'd do. Would I, would I chant crucify him like the rest of the crowd did? I don't know. Would I chant for Barabbas to be freed? I hope not. I hope I wouldn't. Would I want to see Jesus freed? Would I want to see Jesus crucified? Here's the thing, if you're like me and you try to put yourself in the spot of that crowd, you're putting yourself in the wrong spot of the story because the story of the gospel and the story of the crucifixion of Jesus does not put us in the crowd, it puts us in the place of Barabbas. I'm Barabbas, and you're Barabbas. We're the ones who are guilty. We're the ones who've sinned. Now, nobody in this room is a murderer. Nobody in this room is a terrorist. Hopefully nobody's a thief. Maybe you have stolen some things here or there. We might say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy, and I'm not saying you are. But all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. All of us have missed the mark of perfection that Jesus hit perfectly. You know, when you think of the Jesus story, uh, the Easter story, and you say, well, am I like Pilate? Am I like the crowd? Am I like the thief on the cross? No, no, no. Don't put yourself in any of those spots. Put yourself in the spot of Barabbas, a guilty person who is guilty of sin, and you have to pay the price for sin, but someone took your place, and you were set free. I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. We're all Barabbas because we're all guilty. We're all bound to sin. We're all faced with the penalty of sin, and all of us, for every one of us, Jesus steps in. You know, what happened to Jesus was, was horrifying. It's, it's one of the most pivotal moments in, in, in the world's history, but I don't really like to talk about it because he's my savior and he's my king. And to think of what he went through for me because I'm a knucklehead and I'm a doofus and I just keep choosing sin and he loved me so much, the things that he went through. Jesus wasn't a criminal. Jesus, was, Jesus wasn't violent He never harmed anyone, but his message had intimidated the wrong people, and so they saw it fit to see him killed, but he wasn't just killed. If you read the passages in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that Jesus suffered for us to fulfill prophecies spoken about in Isaiah hundreds of years before. Jesus was beaten. He was whipped. His back was torn to shreds. He was made to wear a crown of thorns as they mocked him. They beat a crown of thorns onto his head. And I've seen replicas of of these crowns of thorns. It's not just a little thorn like on a rose, like ow. It's thorns like this long. They they shoved it onto his head and and they beat it onto him. He was mocked by the soldiers. He was mocked by the crowd. He was spit on. They ripped his beard from his face. They forced him to carry his own execution. Uh, his his own execution device. He had to carry his own cross, and it actually tells us in Scripture that he couldn't even do it. A, A man named Simon had to step in and help him. He had to drag his cross down the road and up the hill to the place where they would nail him to it and hang him there, murdered in public, like a sick, twisted form of entertainment for people to sit and watch a man die. Jesus suffered. And in those moments, as we read that story, So did his followers, so did his friends. They were suffering too. See, we can keep reading and know how the story turns out, but man, I can't imagine being a disciple or a follower of Jesus at the time and seeing the man that I called my savior, the man that I called my rabbi, my teacher, dying. And so they suffered. They knew Jesus as someone who healed the broken, who, who set, free bond, set people free from bondage, including themselves. They saw Jesus as someone who redeemed what was lost, but now he was being killed, and there's nothing they could do about it. They couldn't run up and take him off the cross, or they'd be put on a cross right next to him. And so as they saw Jesus die... And Jesus died on that cross. It says in Scripture, we don't have the verses for a slide, it says that they put a spear in his side and blood and water came out which showed that his heart had burst and his heart had ruptured and that's how we know that he was dead. See, for a lot of us, death is the final chapter in every human life and everyone in this city on that day watched Jesus take his final breath, including some people who had Believed in him, including some people who had given up everything to follow him, including people who had believed fully that he was the Son of God. They watched him breathe his last breath and they watched him die. And for them, the story seemed to be over. Jesus' enemies seemed to have won, sin won, and Jesus lost. That's how it looked. But while everyone saw death having the last word, Jesus saw a plot twist coming that no one could ever have predicted that we still talk about to this day. Let's go to John chapter 20. Uh, Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Let me pause there for just a second. This verse is really encouraging to our ladies. Ladies, sometimes... The guys drop the ball when it comes to living out our faith. Where were the guys? They're hiding. They're scared. We find out they're like meeting in secret. They're scared to death to be associated with Jesus. What happens? Mary comes out to the tomb. Mary has the courage and the fortitude to still be a Jesus follower, even in the wake of his death. I think that's interesting that none of the guys are anywhere to be found. It's the ladies that step up. She came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon, Peter, and the other disciple, which is John, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. So they knew where Mary was. We see right we see here that that uh, Peter and John were just they're hiding. I said, Well I'm not gonna hide, I'm gonna go to the tomb. So it's a couple days after Jesus has been executed. Mary, one of his closest disciples, she goes to visit the tomb, and she didn't show up expecting this new chapter that we celebrate on Easter every year now. She was there to mourn the story that she thought had just ended. She was there to mourn her friend. She was there to mourn her, her hope. She was there to mourn her identity, and she sees an empty tomb, and she runs back, and she tells Peter, and she tells John, she said, they've taken him. She says they took him. Now, she doesn't see this and say he's alive. She says they took his body. They stole his body. And so what happens is they go out and they run to the tomb. Finally, they face their fears a little bit. And it's not good news right away. So they go to the tomb. And they start exploring and they start looking inside a little bit. And verse 14 is where we get to next. It says, having said this, she turned around. This is her, Mary. Mary. She turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. So Jesus appears to Mary face to face. She doesn't even recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. And he says, why are you crying, lady? And she says, she says mister, if you took his body, just tell me where you put it. And Jesus said to her, Mary. There's a lot of weight in that word right there, Mary. I wonder how he said it. Because he said the name Mary, and it says, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So when he said her name, she recognized who he was. So Mary, who went to the tomb, saw that it was empty, freaks out, says somebody stole his body. She goes, she gets John. She gets Peter. They come and they look. They're like, yeah, someone took his body. They go and they're trying to figure it out. She talks to some angels and verses that we didn't read in between there. But then Jesus himself appears to her. He says, why are you crying? She doesn't know who he is. And she says, if you took his body, just tell me where you put it. This is messed up, man. He says her name. He says Mary. And she realizes who he is. Could you imagine in that moment realizing that the man that you saw die, the man that you loved, the man that you followed, the man that you put all your hope in, he was there and he was alive and he was healthy and he was healed. This Easter is what we celebrate what happened at the tomb. What happened at the cross is important. But if the tomb didn't happen, none of it would matter. If Jesus just died for us, it would be a noble death, but it would have solved nothing. You guys, I could take a bullet for you guys, but I can't conquer death. I could get on a cross, I'm not gonna. I could get on a cross and say, this is for all the sins of the world, but when they bury me, I'm staying in the box. I don't have the power to come out of there. I don't have the power to walk out of tombs. I don't have the power conquer death, but Jesus did. The plot twist was not just for his friends back then. This plot twist was not just for Mary and Peter and John. It's for us today because Jesus is still alive and he's still defeating death and he's still defeating sin. And why that matters is because we still have sin in our life. You guys, some of you are carrying a whole lot of sin into this room tonight. Some of you are carrying baggage, some of you are carrying addiction, some of you are carrying pain, some of you are carrying trauma, some of you are carrying things that you would never dare speak in front of others because you're ashamed of it and you don't wanna talk about it and I get it. Sin sucks, sin is shameful. Sin is something we're not proud of but Jesus already paid for your sin and you need to understand that tonight. If you're here tonight and you feel like sin is in control of your life, just like Barabbas, his chains were taken off so Jesus could love him, He did it for you too. Sin has no power over you. Why? Because when sin brings death, Jesus gives life. You guys, sin is just going to bring death into your life. You give sin an inch, it will take a mile. But it doesn't have to have the final say over your life. As we think about that, I want to take you back to Barabbas one more time. Just picture him being brought forth. In front of this crowd. He's got the chains on, right? And and he's guilty, and he knows he's guilty. He's a killer. He's killed people, and he's been sentenced to die. He knows he's going to the cross. He knew what that was all about. He's probably made his grips with it, and Jesus takes his place. Now, what Barabbas did with his freedom, we don't know for sure. We guess that he did nothing with it. We can only assume he went back to sin, and the reason we assume that is if he had turned to become a follower of Christ, it probably would have been mentioned in there. Uh, So I think Barabbas went right back to those sins. You know what that means? He went right back to his chains. That's what some of us do with sin. Sin. We sin and we struggle with it and we hate it. We hate how it makes us feel. We hate the guilt and the shame and all the stuff that sin brings. And we come to church and we sing the songs and we hear all the music and we hear about how Jesus has forgiven us and rescued us and redeemed us and we drop those chains and we think it's great and we go right back and we pick them back up and put them back on and be like, man, I hate this life. Listen, you can take those chains off because Jesus already broke them, you guys. Are you bound? Are you in chains in life? Does sin have a hold of you? First, You might not know that Jesus stepped out in your place. There's some faces here tonight I don't recognize. This might be your first time here. This might be your first time hearing about what Jesus did for you. I want you to know that he did that for every single one of you. Not the people who are here every week. Not the people who know what the Bible says. Not the people who live the holiest life. Jesus died for all of us. And he died in our place so that you would call him savior. If you've never done that tonight, I would love to talk to you before you go home about how you can make that decision. But for us Jesus followers, and a lot of you guys would say you're a Jesus follower. A lot of you guys would say you're a Christian. I would ask you this. How often do you find yourself going back to that sin, back to that addiction, back to that struggle, back to that problem that we keep falling into? And what do you do with it? You know, we think, well, i got to work harder. i got to be better. i got to try more. i got to do all this stuff. Stop. The chains were already broken. And you think you've got to do something to break them again? Jesus broke them once, and they stayed broken for eternity. He took them, he paid for them, he shattered them, and there's nothing you can do to unshatter a chain. I'm telling you guys, Jesus is enough. The Easter story is not about everything. Thank you for the one person clapping. That's fine. The Easter story is not about Everything turning out exactly the way we would expect or want it to. It's about realizing that broken things are not doomed to stay broken forever. You don't have to stay broken. If you're here tonight and you feel like a broken person, you don't have to stay that way. Our relationships with God do not have to stay broken. Our relationships with each other do not have to stay broken. Our world does not have to stay broken. Because of Jesus, there's hope in this life. Here's what we can do with it. You say, what can I do to make that a reality? First thing you do is you can grieve what is broken. Grieving is not something that we enjoy. Grieve is when we mourn, is when we feel sad over something. Sometimes the Easter season can feel a little bit like toxic positivity. Like everything's happy, everything's wonderful because Jesus is alive and there's no problems in the world. Well, it's not exactly like that, is it? But it is a reason to celebrate. Because in the end, Jesus wins. Jesus. Sometimes f- Jesus followers, we can feel so excited that it almost feels fake, all right? I'm not saying to be fake. I'm not saying that if you're broken, if you're hurt, to just smile and act like you're not, you're not hurting. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this. Understand what's broken and understand that you have reason to celebrate because Jesus can fix any broken part of your life. It doesn't erase all the sin. It doesn't erase all the pain. It doesn't erase all the hurt but it's good to grieve. It's good to know that what was broken is restored in the hands of Jesus. Our pain is broken. Our sin is broken. Injustice is broken. Grieve what's broken. The second thing we can do is this. We can ask God to restore what is broken. We look around this world and we see broken things. Our world is broken beyond repair, it feels like but it's not. Jesus can repair anything. So what what do we do as followers of Christ? We ask him to restore those things. When we see a broken spirit, when we see a broken heart, when we see a broken friend or a friendship, ask God to fix those things. Do you have a friend that you miss because you haven't forgiven them or they haven't forgiven you or you haven't found the courage to talk it out? Ask God to give you the courage. Fix those relationships with you guys. Fix those things. Fix those issues in your life. Ask God. Say, God, I can't do it on my own. I need your help. Fix what's broken in my life, including you. You say, God, I'm broken beyond repair. Fix me. He will. Last thing we can do is this. We can ask God uh, to join him in restoring what is broken. Only Jesus can conquer sin and death, you guys. I can't conquer sin. I can't conquer death. I can barely, I was playing Mario Kart. I can't even beat people at Mario Kart, let alone beat death, all right? Only Jesus can transform us. Only he can bring new life to the things that are broken. But here's what's amazing. He invites us to join him in that process. So when we've messed up, we can take action to help make things right. Jesus picked a a group of imperfect people. Peter, James, John, Thomas, Judas. Jesus picked some of the most imperfect people to join him on his journey, not because he needed their help, not because he said, well, I can't do this without John, but because he loves us and he wanted to do life with us. When we notice someone in pain, we can reach out and love and we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Guys, there might be someone in our group tonight who is hurting. Comfort them. Pray with them. Talk to them, make them feel welcome, make them feel loved, make them feel accepted, make them feel known. When you do that, you are being like Jesus. When we see the world is broken, we can be a part of the solution. Listen, I'm getting kind of old. I'm 43 years old. Sometimes I feel old, sometimes I don't. When I'm with you guys, I always feel old. Can I tell you something? My generation and the generations older than me, I feel like we've dropped the ball, and I feel like we're really judgmental towards you guys. If anything's going to change the world, it's going to be y'all. If anything's going to change our systems, if anything's going to bring justice to where there's injustice, it's the youth of our world today. There is something going on in the hearts of teenagers right now. If you guys know about things like the Asbury Revival and all these revivals popping up, there's a movie in the theaters right now called The Jesus Revolution. It can happen again. We don't have to, we don't have to watch a movie to see revolution and to see revival. We can do it right now by bringing our friends to Jesus. There's something about being a a teenager, man. There's something about being a student that just gives you boldness that, I don't know if you lose it as an adult or we forget how to do it, but man, I'm telling you, if there's gonna be a change, it's gonna start with you guys. So I would challenge you to start that change. Even right here in Miles City, make some people uncomfortable. Bring so many people to church that those of us who are used to sitting in the second row, we got to give up our seats to people. Let's bring change to this world because Jesus is the one who can change all of it. Let's pray together as we finish tonight. I'm going to pray for those of you who might not know Jesus first. Father, I come to you tonight and I pray for this, the hearts of everyone who is here. I pray for everyone who can hear me right now, God. Even those who aren't paying attention, even those who, who didn't give, us, give, give, you, give you their thoughts tonight, Lord, I pray that you speak to them. I pray that you get their attention, get a hold of their heart. If there's anyone here tonight, God, who has never called on you, who has never made you the Lord of their life, I pray that you give them the courage to find me, to find their group leader, find someone to talk to, so they don't go home tonight wondering what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. They go home tonight knowing what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. God, for those of us who are followers of Christ, I ask you to work in our lives. Help us to grieve what is broken. Help us to seek you over the things that are broken to restore those things and help us to join you in bringing restoration to this world. We are all Barabbas, Lord, but we are Barabbas and we are loved. God, thank you for loving Barabbas. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving every person here tonight. And thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for paying for my sins. Thank you for loving me so much that you could not leave me broken beyond repair. Thank you for fixing me and restoring me and pouring your love into me. God, again, if there's anyone here who does not know that, don't let them go home tonight without talking to someone. We thank you and we love you for what you've done and what you're going to do in the rest of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.